0: Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn back to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. I had the numbering wrong on sermon audio and YouTube, and uh, uh, Mark Lidgett caught it. He said you put no, made. I, I titled last week's lesson. All spiritual blessings, part three. He said, "Is there a part 2? And that was part two last week. So I had to go back and change it. We're actually this is all spiritual blessings, part three, and uh, it it's a very to me it's a unique lesson because we're gonna we're gonna spend the entire hour this morning talking about a doctrine that at one point in time. Uh, you know, you 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 talk, you see these people that are in, involved in all these video games or, you know, anime or all that, you know, that cos what the cosplay and all that, and they call them geeks or nerds. Well, I I tell you, when I was, when I first got involved in, really as an adult, I mean I was 20, 22, 21, 22 years of age. And really got serious. It's kind of scary to even make that kind of But I got serious about religion. I mean, I had, I had grown up as a child, made a, a couple of professions, and been baptized twice. But was never really what the religious world would consider serious about it. Because I, I didn't change my character and conduct. But when I really got serious in 1981, when I had that third religious experience... And was overwhelmed by emotions and everything that went along with the religious activity, and was coached and tutored by those that I considered to be great men of the faith, and began to uh, purchase books and study things. We were all it was almost like a new toy is what it was like, because I had never paid attention when I grew up in religion but i still even even i know from my religious background because i know the history of the baptists and the methodists and what most of them believe especially from you know when the baptist faith and message changed everything in the baptist religion i know what they believe from that point forward we never talked about the subjects that we're going to talk about this morning you know they might they might read Ephesians chapter 1, they never taught on Ephesians chapter 1 because they had nothing to teach on it because they had no explanation, and they knew it opened too many cans of worms for them to try to, you know, it was like a Pandora's box. As long as we just leave the box closed and don't fool with the box, we won't let it out, and then we don't have to deal with it. Well, I dealt with it. I mean, I, I was in a five-point Calvinist church, and my pet doctrine was the doctrine of election. I mean, if there was one doctrine that I just really zeroed in on, it was this thing of God choosing the people. I didn't have any problem with it. Now, here's the caveat of that story: I didn't know the true and living God. I'd changed religions. I'd went from an Armenian to a Calvinist, but I hadn't changed gods, is what hadn't. Yeah, and none because I couldn't do it. He had to do a work of grace in my. And I would take the, 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 this, this thing of election, and I would literally beat people to death with it. I tell you, if there's one thing that gets the dander up on the unregenerate mind more than anything else, except those that are blinded by the light, by the, by the darkness that's in them, I always, when I think about where I was at, I always think about where our Lord Jesus Christ said, if the light that's in thee be darkness, how great is the darkness. And I, there's nothing any more dangerous than a reformed person. I'm telling you, they're dangerous. They got just enough truth to be damned. That's what they've got. But, yeah, I, I, I didn't have any problem with election. Not at all. I mean, I, and I would get people and I'd just, you know, I would hammer them with it. You know, God chose a people before the foundation of the world. Did it absolutely, sovereignly, according to his goodwill and pleasure. And you didn't have any choice. And my, my relatives, my friends, and people that I witnessed to would just all the veins would stand out in their neck. God can't be that way. And I'd tell them, if your God ain't that way, <laughs> it's another God. And I, little did I know, I, it was another God to me too. It was a God I didn't know. But here's the thing. Does the scriptures teach the doctrine of election? Is it a doctrine that you and I should and must believe as God's children? Can a child of God not believe the doctrine of election? I believe would be the question. The answer is absolutely not. Because here's the thing. Christ said, "You'll know the truth. Truth sets you free." And you'll be free indeed. And I tell you what, our Lord taught election more than anybody else did. Now, He didn't use the word election, but He, he taught it. Who did He lay His life down for? I laid down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, not of national Israel, them also I must bring. What is that? Do you see any options for the sinner? See, that's the thing. We, we were raised all our lifetime in a, with a religious mentality that God has done everything that he can do. Everything. He loved us so much that he sent his son here to suffer and bleed and die for the sins of the world, right? And you know what they told us? But yet it's still your choice. It's your decision. It's your option. And if you don't come to him, they never thought about the implications of it. Not one. So I want to ask five key questions this morning that I think are are set forth in these, these two verses we're going to look at this morning in verses four and five. And you tell me when we get to the end of this thing that this is not essential to our faith. That this is not the faith of God's elect. And the first question is this. When it comes to this doctrine it's, that's clearly set forth in the Scriptures, who did the choosing? Who did the choosing? Do did, did, did you choose? Do all men make a choice? Do they exercise their free will? Because I think if, if, if you had never read it, I mean, I'm not a big Martin Luther fan, but he did write one good book that I liked. Was named, the name was Bondage of the Wheel. And you, you ought to read it. I mean, I, you, you know, you can read some books. You don't have to agree with everything everybody says, but it was a good book that, that sets forth the reality that you can't do something that is contrary to your will. Our wills are in bondage to our human Adam nature. And therefore, it is enmity against God. It's, it's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. And I tell you, if you don't understand that as a child, as a person who claims to be a child of God, please examine yourself because you, you, don't you know right now that even now, your, your carnal mind, which you still have one, you realize that, right? It isn't like religion taught me that you, can't, you get free from that thing once you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. It's still there and it's still real and it's still got all its pull and power. Now if that part of us, even as regenerated, converted sons and daughters, is still at enmity against God? In us, who have Christ in us the hope of glory. Who have been filled by His Holy Spirit. And yet, we have a warfare going on, do we not? Every one of us, if we're children of God this morning, we understand all too well the good we want to do, we don't do. And the evil we don't want to do, that's exactly what we find ourselves doing. And if that's not your struggle, you're not in the battle. You hear me? If you're not experiencing that, it's not like in the Song of Solomon where he saw, saw the church coming and it was a, as it was a, a, war, a war of two armies. That's what we are. We got a warfare going on constantly, continually. So who did the choosing? Well, look at, look at our text. Look at verse 3, first of all. We'll read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us Blessed us, not going to bless us if we choose him, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Okay? We could could start off with that question, but that's not one of the the five. Who does the blessing? That would be another question. Do we we bless God or does he bless us? He blessed us. How did he bless us? Notice verse 4. According as he hath chosen us. Not all. Chosen us in him. You think about that. Who did to choose it? God the Father did. Paul's very clear to show the distinctions here, and we went through this, so I'm not going back through it. When we went through in Titus, in Titus uh, chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 7, and 8, there's distinctions within the Godhead. And the scriptures are clear that each person in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all have a particular role in this glorious plan of salvation. And Paul tells us here in this verse that we're looking at this morning, according as He hath chosen us. And that He is a reference back to who? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places? Now, I don't know about you, but I've thought about this a lot in my lifetime as a justified saint. I can't, for the life of me, explain the Trinity. I can remember when I was in false religion and I did not know the true and living God, trying to explain the Trinity to people and coming up with a catchy little ways that religious people tried to define and describe the trinitary nature of our God. And I remember the one that I foolishly used to use. I don't forget who I got it from, but it was H2O. The, The product H2O, which is water. And even though it was one material, H2O, one product, it could be a solid, it could be a liquid, or it could be a gas. But all three of them were still what? How dare me or anybody else try to compare the true and living God in his Trinitarian in nature, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to H2O? I, can't, I, I don't try to explain it anymore. But I tell you what, I dadgum sure wouldn't deny it. Our God, you think about it. He exists as one God, referred to as the true and living God, Jehovah. Three distinct natures. Three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And all three are co-equal and co-eternal in power and in purpose. Not one does anything that's not in complete unity and in complete submission to one another within the Trinity. All of them. And within this glorious Trinity, God the Father, now this is the thing, God the Father chose, and this is the problem, and because you know, people say, well, if he, it, 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 you look at us, you make this state, chose a multitude, a multitude of guilty sinners. In Christ to save in a way that glorifies and honors him is the living God, is both a just God and a Savior. And you look at us with our little group that we have here this morning. Two and three. 13, 14 plus what's in the back. Say twenty-five. That don't seem like much of a multitude, does it? But if you take the church, and it's the true church in its entirety, scattered from throughout the time frame, from when Adam and Eve fell in the garden to now, it'd be a multitude, wouldn't it? But here's the thing. Had it been just one, just one sinner that he had determined to save, just one sinner that he chose, you know what it would have still took? Would Christ have to have suffered less? Would he have to have been any less obedient? Could he have spent any less time here? Would it been like he could have done it as a baby instead of or maybe at 12 years old when he talked with those people in the, you know, that when he disappeared from his mom and dad. Didn't have to spend the whole 33 years here. Listen to you. Peter put it like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Listen to this. Elect. Elect. According to the foreknowledge. And that word foreknowledge, everybody says, See there at foreknow, when we see, look up words. Don't let the English language give you the definition of what God's word says. He said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And people say, what does that mean? God looked. The foreknowledge to them means what? That God looked down and he saw sinners do something. And then based on what he saw, then he reacted. Our God's not a reactionary God. And that, but the problem is that word foreknowledge there doesn't mean a, 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 him gaining knowledge. It's literally the word foreordained through the foreordination of God the Father. In other words, His divine will, He chose. That word elect is the word ekklesia. It means the called out ones. He chose a people before the foundation of the world through sanctification of the Spirit. See, there's the work of the Spirit. God, one but three and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see all three of them? Grace be to you. To who? These strangers scattered throughout Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and Pontius, and all the elect of all the ages. Grace and peace on them. There's no peace on Judas Iscariot. There's no peace for the reprobate. Not at all. Here's a second question. When did God the Father choose? Well, look at our text again. He said, according as he hath chosen us in him, when? When did he do it? Before the foundation of the world. (laughs) Hold your place there. Turn over to Romans chapter 9. Verse 9. For this, Romans 9, verse 9, for this is the word of promise. At that time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, parentheses, pay clear, care, close attention to this in verse. For the children being not yet born. And to me, this is what's so amazing about it. Neither having done any good or evil. So here's the thing. God chose us without any regard to anything good or evil in us. He just chose. Uh Uh-huh. That the purpose of God, that's what it's all about, God's purpose, not ours. The purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. One old Arthur wrote this. He said, I believe in the doctrine of election, because I'm quite sure if God hadn't chosen me, I would have never chosen him. And I'm sure that he chose me before I was born, or else he would have never chosen me afterward. Because, <laughs> see, that's the thing this idea of God looking down through time and seeing good or evil. First of all, we know from the scriptures what does the scripture say of all men and women without exception? There is none good. (laughs) So how's he going to look down through time and see good in us? If there's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And you tell me that's what he's going to look down and see? But if he looked down and saw what men consider good, what else does he see? Uh-huh. Josiah Condor, I, we've, we've sang this hymn before, but I I, I printed it out this morning. <laughs> I was sitting there and this popped into my mind. It, it, it's just a little two hymn, two, two verse. Hymn. Tis not that I did choose thee, for Lord that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, had thou not chosen me. Thou from the sin that stained me has cleansed and set me free. Of old thou hast ordained me that I should live to thee. That's the first verse. Verse 2. To a sovereign mercy called me and taught my opening heart. The world had else enthralled me to heavenly glories blind. My heart owns none before thee for thy rich grace I thirst for knowing if I love thee. I love this. Knowing if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. We love him because he first loved us. I'm gonna tell you, that's an entirely different attitude or mindset than what self righteous works religion teaches when it, they talk about the salvation of sinners conditioned on the man. Here's the third one. How did he choose? How did he choose? Look at verse 3 and 4 in our text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Where did he choose us at? In Christ. God the Father chose all of His elect in the person. Now, this is so important. He chose us in the person of our substitute, our surety, our representative man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, this is what's so important. Without Christ as our substitute, if He hadn't chose us in Christ, election is helpless and it's meaningless. Actually, in Christ, election finds its ultimate fulfillment. The Lord Jesus Christ worked out the redemption and the salvation that election purposed. Listen to me closer. Election didn't save anybody. Election didn't redeem anybody. Election, what was it? It was God the Father's purpose and choice of certain individuals to salvation. But redemption and justification and sanctification was accomplished solely how? By God the Son's perfect obedience to God's law and justice as our substitute. And by His accomplished death at Calvary to satisfy all the conditions of the elect salvation, and able to be honored, and every attribute of his character is both a just God and a savior. Look down at verse 7. In whom we have redemption. How do we redeem? Through his blood. You see that? Let me read you this verse. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Paul writes. being justified freely by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. (laughs) How about this one? Colossians chapter 1, verse 4, 14. He says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, Forgiveness of sin And then one more Hebrews chapter 9 I do want you to look at this one Hebrews chapter 9 we read it every time we take the Lord's table neither he verse 12 Hebrews 9 neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. And for us, you notice it's in italics. It wasn't there. He obtained eternal redemption. Look down at verse 15. For this cause, he's the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, to covenant wait, Bert, yeah, Yeah, the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of what? The eternal inheritance. God's our God and Father in Christ. Paul put it like this, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by O. All the promises are where? In me trying to be a good guy. Should you try to be a good guy, a good, good person? Yeah, there ain't no doubt. But the promises don't rest on us. They never have. It's a promise. This is the promise he has promised us. What's he promised us? Eternal life. With no conditions at all. Here's the fourth one. To what purpose or to what end did God choose? Why did he do it? Well, I know this much. He didn't have to do any of this. And that's that's the thing that amazes me about the the depravity of our human minds. Is we somehow think, uh, man thinks by nature that somehow... This work that he's done changes him, which is a denial of the fact of who, he and, who and what he is. You can, I am the Lord God. I, I change not. He's, he's unchanged by any or all of it. Father, listen, our God was absolutely content with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He, need, he needed Nothing. He didn't need me. You hear religious people talk, the Lord needs you. You know, that somebody dies, well, the Lord called him home because he needed him in heaven. Really? A God who tells us that if he was hungry, which he's never been hungry, he says if he was hungry, he would not ask of you or me. Huh. Why did he choose? What purpose was it? Well, first of all, the Father chose in order to do what? To bless us. Doesn't bless him or magnify him in his nature and in essence of who and what he is. It magnifies him before redeemed creatures. And listen, our God's not even concerned what the world thinks of him. You do realize that, right? This ain't about getting the devils to bow to him. This is about magnifying and... He, look, they could care less what they think of Christ or Him. It's what think ye of Christ. So He's concerned about that His... That he's magnified before our eyes It's His children, the ones who were by nature just like them. Children of wrath just like them by nature. Enemies of God in our minds by wicked work. He saved us, redeemed us, filled us with his Holy Spirit, regenerated, converted us. And now what do we see? We thank him. Blessed. That's why that's what that Paul said. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord. He knew what he was. And if you're a redeemed sinner this morning, you know what you are. And we bless our God for it. But He chose in order to bless us. You think about the privilege we have of Him allowing us to to have this everlasting, eternal blessedness. Oh, Hannah, in her prayer, she said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted where? In the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies. Because I rejoice in thy salvation. I'm going to tell you what. If God doesn't bless us, if he doesn't exalt us, if he doesn't glorify us, if he doesn't keep us, none of us will be blessed. Not one. But praise God, if he blesses us, what are we? We're blessed indeed, are we not? Blessed. Find yourself here. Blessed. Transgressions forgiven. Blessed, iniquities covered. Blessed, and this is the first time is the man is included. It's actually written here. Blessed is the man to whom God will not charge sin. <laughs> Why can he not charge sin to King David? Where was it going to be charged? To his surety, his substitute his Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. First of all, he chose us to bless us. Secondly, notice the last part of this verse. Look at verse 4 in our text. That we should be holy and without blame before him. Hold on. I thought we are supposed to try to be holy. You know what what this proves to me more than anything else? It proves to me that there's absolutely no holiness existing or foreseen in any of God's elect. (laughs) How do you know that? What did he have to do? He had to make us holy. And it's not, listen, it's not that stupid thing that we sang in vacation Bible school. What was it? You know the little song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and start na, 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 na. You remember that? He's not reforming his flesh. And we can't influence We can't improve it. What do you have to do? He had to do something that's not in us by nature. He had to make us holy. And the only way he could make us holy is he couldn't put holiness in it and let us. Because this is the thing that these reformed people talk about. He puts holiness in us, and then what happens? It works its way out of us. Uh uh-uh. uh. The only way we can be made holy is one way. What? Imputation. Huh? He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Not just the right, not the righteousness of the law or the righteousness of a man. What are we made? The righteousness of God. But he chose us thirdly, think about that, he chose us not only to make us holy. Look at verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the the adoption of children. He made us His sons how? His daughters how? By Jesus Christ to Himself. Listen to this. Over in Galatians chapter 4. He says this. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, Differeth nothing from the servant, though he be Lord of all. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons not in order for you to be sons, because you are sons. God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, into your hearts, doing something that you could never do on your own, crying out Father. Here's the fifth question. On what basis did he choose? What was the basis of it? Well, look at our text. According to the good pleasure of his will. He did it simply because he chose to do it. People say, that's not fair. Well, let God be true and every man and woman a liar. Look back over at Romans 9. Paul knew and understood all too well how depraved and hateful and hating toward God our human nature is. And he knows how man, unregenerate man, reacts to such a glorious truth. And so he answers the questions before they even form the questions. He says in verse 14, remember he just said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, before they have done any good or any evil. Well, God's got to take into, account before they have done any good or evil, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Verse 14, the natural mind, how does it, what does it react? What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Because I've heard people have, me, have had men and women tell me that. I've, I've had you, Kenny and I talk about it. I've had people tell me, if God's like that, I'd never worship that God. And that's right. You won't worship this God. You can't worship this God. You hate this God by nature. How does Paul answer the question? Is there unrighteousness with God? Heavens, no. God forbid. Why? For he saith to Moses, I have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then, notice the letter, though then it's not of him that willeth. Throw your will out the window. They say, well, some of these wise people, they say, well, this is actually talking about Israel versus the rest of the world. Well, then you've got a big problem. Because God loved Israel and he hates every other nation, you and me included. Not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. There's your works. Your will goes, your works goes. But of God that does what? Show the mercy. Our Lord was clear on that. He told those scribes and Pharisees that were doing their dead-level best to avoid every known sin and doing their dead-level best to do every possible good. He said, go learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, I'll, I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion, and I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. And it's got nothing to do with them. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. You think about it. God raised Pharaoh up for one purpose. And I'll tell you another one that got lumped into this too. Judas is carried. Our Lord Jesus Christ looked at him and said, It would have been better if you had never been born. He would listen. He was a son of perdition when God chose him. When Christ, when Christ chose him as an apostle, he was already the devil. Therefore, hath the mercy, on whom He will have mercy and whom He will, He hardeneth. No, oh, we got big problem there. God's hardening people. You say, well, then if that's the case. What can I do? Verse 19, Then wilt thou say unto him, Why does he hath find fault? If he hardens, why does he find fault? Who can resist this God's will? Notice his response. Nay, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Underline this next phrase. He doesn't even say, Shall the person or man form? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel to honor and another vessel to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath? Look at this, fitted to destruction, prepared for destruction. That's all they were for. And that he might make known the riches of his glory of the vessels of mercy, which he hath afforded prepared. Before time, what did he prepare them for? For glory. Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but of the Gentiles. What's that? That's all the elect of all the ages, both Jew and Gentile. All those God the Father chose in the everlasting covenant of grace. All those that Christ the Son, by his obedience unto death, bore their sins in his body on the tree. All those God the Holy Spirit in time under the preaching of the gospel regenerates and converts and brings the true faith and true repentance, revealing Christ in them the hope of glory. What are they? They are vessels of mercy prepared before unto glory. You didn't prepare yourself. There was no mourner's bench involved in this where we get down and grieve over things that we got caught or did not get caught that we'd done previously. It's God's absolute mercy. I tell you what, there's absolutely no scriptural ground on which to deny this glorious God-honoring doctrine of election. And if a sinner ever truly sees, by God the Holy Spirit's power of regeneration and conversion, their own sinfulness, and you do, and they see the necessity of the only perfect righteousness by the work of a substitute, maturity, And they ever see the certainty of this, that God will by no means clear the guilty. You know what they'll do? They'll see and they'll bow to this truth. Because they know, just like that song, Lord, if you hadn't chose me, I'd never chose you. I wouldn't have. We wouldn't, you know. I, I tell you, I, I know a lot of people don't like that, but I, I tell you, I take great comfort in that truth. I've got friends and families just like you that are set in stone in their own mind of what they believe. No way on this planet I could ever convince them, Kenny, of the reality of who this God is that we serve, that we all have to do with. But you know what? As long as they're breathing, as long as somebody can talk to them about the gospel, there's a possibility that God in his grace, if they're one of his elect, those same ones that before hated this truth, you know what they do? All of a sudden, everything changes. And it wasn't because they made up their mind to change. It's God's grace that makes a difference. Okay, we'll stop right there. We'll come back, pick up. Verse six next week. You're dismissed the worship hour.